When things get darkest, we must be our brightest. We must love our hardest. You're listening to Better, and I'm your host, Mark Brand. I deeply believe that everyone has the power to leave the planet a better place than they found it. In my decades of frontline work, I've seen it happen against all odds in the toughest corners of the world. This show was created as a guide to share stories of resilience and hope from the brightest individuals who have overcome challenges we all face to help us all envision and build a better life. Every week, my incredible guests and I will give you access to the conversations we've been having behind closed doors, away from stages, and away from traditional media. Until now, we share this space with the explicit intention to empower you to be your biggest, brightest, most beautiful self, so we can build a better world together. Welcome to Better. I am so excited to have one of my favorite people, let alone favorite activists, doing incredible work on all sorts of different levels, but using his art form and his skill set, as we always talk about here on Better, to make the place that we live in a better a better one, but also to bring and shine light into the crevices that we need at the moment. So folks, welcome. Please welcome my dear friend, uh, Tim Daly. Tim, hello. Mark, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited to talk to you. Man, it's, uh, you know, I think this is the post-pandemic conversation, which is, it's been too long, and we're giving ourselves 24 months of grace on that one. But I I look forward to seeing you in person very soon in New York City. You know, we met, it's got to be five or six years ago now, Mm -hmm. and I got to experience not Tim Daly, the actor, who's got 40 years in the game and has been in everybody's living room from Wings to Sopranos, Madam Secretary, and everything in between, but I got to experience Tim, the human being, as the activist around the Creative Coalition, the nonprofit political advocate group that focuses on federal funding for the arts, free speech, and education. Those buckets were really exciting to me. I was like, what does it look like? Because I've heard so many actors, and I mean this with due respect, be performative in this area, and then realizing how deep you've been working in for so long. So would you mind starting us off with, this is how I found myself involved, or this is how I created the lane for myself to be involved in this change. And this is, you know, what I've learned. I think that would be really powerful if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Sure. Um, well, what got me started, uh, really was, um, sort of an accident. Uh, I met Robin Bronk, who's the CEO of the creative coalition. And she invited me to go to Washington DC and fight to, uh, preserve the budget for the national endowment for the arts. And on the train down to D.C. from New York, I was reading this biography of Einstein, and I was struck by uh, how Einstein used playing the violin to broaden his mind, broaden his scope of the way he perceived the world and to help him uh, solve these insane uh, you know, uh, physics problems when he was stuck. And I didn't even realize it until I started speaking about the arts, how passionate I am about the arts as a tool for connecting human beings, as a tool for healing human beings, and as, as a mirror uh, for all of us human beings to look at ourselves and see the good, the bad, the ugly, the possible, the impossible. Um, so uh, all those things got me really energized. And um, I realized that... Uh, you know, arts are the things, they're the common language of our humanity, right? right. It's, it's like, th- th- these are the things that we really connect each other with, dance, music, literature, theater, movies, television. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, being in the political arena, because a lot of folks don't want to give any money to the arts. But what is the first thing that happens when a politician goes to visit another country or another culture? Out come the artists. How come they are to sing and dance and show their that show the paintings that they've made? And it just occurred to me that we've got to change the narrative, at least in North America, about the value of all the arts, not not as professional artists, but as things that every day uh, enlighten us and make life more bearable and more uh, interesting and more connective. Um, and, you know, and during the pandemic, it's like, can you imagine trying to get through this without 
being able to, you know, watch, watch things on TV or read books or, or do whatever you do, play the bongos in your basement, whatever it might be, you know, and people with kids, you know, my God, the arts are so important for kids to be able to express themselves and to keep their imaginations alive. A hundred percent. And during the pandemic to fund a lot of the work we do with the Better Life Foundation, uh, we did digital concerts. We were doing online concerts. You and I were on a like rock the vote stream together. Like we were in each other's living rooms weekly hanging out on these gigantic community Zoom calls with artists chanting, singing, playing us through. We did work on all sorts of race issues. We were, we were just in it. And it's created a, yet another bucket for us, which is one of these beautiful things that's come out of this time is like, wow, artists really were the glue. And I say that with all sincerity. It's like, what would we have done without being able to release the emotions that were built up inside us without being able to feel like we could be useful? And you've got DJs streaming from their garage, helping folks out. You've got literally people teaching paintbrush in hand <laughs> online. Like, it was, it was a gorgeous time. So I really appreciate that reflection. And I think, you know, with the work and advocacy for it and pushing for it, we know the value. And so if we intellectually know the value and we, you know, feel it in our heart, what do we do? How do we support the arts as individuals? Like, what does it look like for you? And a reflection of somebody says, Tim, how do I get involved? Like, what do they, what do I do? Well, I, I think the first step for all of us, and especially for me and my organization, is to try to change the narrative around the arts, because um, a lot of people are involved in the arts and they're not even conscious of it. You know, mm -hmm. they I mean, we go through our lives. Who who hasn't listened to music today? I bet every single one of your listeners, probably everyone else has listened to music. Um, we have an aesthetic uh make aesthetic choices about what we wear, about what we eat. Um, you know, you're an artistic uh, chef. Uh, you know, your, your creative capacity for making beautiful and tasty food is phenomenal. So getting people to realize that the arts are in our lives is, I think, one of the, the first steps. You know, I like to say that, um, well, I have a, a triptych. I say that, you know, artists, artists like love. We, it's almost impossible to, to define, but we know that we need it. We human beings need love and art mm -hmm. is like, is like air. It's, we're not always conscious that we're breathing, but quietly we do it unconsciously and it sustains us. And, <sighs> and, and you'll appreciate this. I think art is also like food. We're not going to like everything we taste, but some of it is going to be absolutely delectable and we can't survive without it. We need it to live our lives. So um, to me, it's elemental. Um, and the, the sooner we can get people, again, as I say, especially in North America, to realize that, the more they'll, I think, step up themselves and say, for instance, to their school boards, hey, why are you cutting the arts program out of my school? Why is that the first thing to go in the budget? And you don't need much. You know, you don't need much to sing and dance. You just need to push the chairs out of the way, you know, and, and burst into song and, and do some movement. Um, and uh, it's, it's not a matter of, of always of having a budget. It's a matter of having the will and the impetus to know that kids especially are going to be turned on by being creative, by being seen, you know, by creating something and, and being seen for that. Uh, and it's a very powerful thing because I'm kind of rambling on, but, you know, not to, at me, all. to me, the miracle of, of human beings is our imagination and our creativity and the arts are the gym for our imagination. That's where we work out that, that muscle, that creative muscle. Because if we don't keep working it out, it atrophies like any other muscle. And if we do work it out, then, then we're doing the kind of blue sky thinking and the creative thinking that everybody wants, not just people who are viewing television, but Fortune 500 companies, lawyers, doctors. They want creative thinkers to help solve problems in a new and innovative way. And the imagination is where those, an those answers are going to come from. It's absolutely critical. And it loops directly back to how you started us, right? With that, that breakthrough moment of, for yourself of being on the train and thinking about Einstein playing the violin. We used to. Being a polymath was what we were. Yes. It's not, and it's what we still are. And it's because of the fear of judgment. Like, I'm not this level, so therefore, I'm not Olympic level, so therefore, I'm not an athlete. Right. And that's, it's, it's insanity. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you walk up to somebody and say, hey, are you a golfer? They're liable to say, yeah, I love golf. I play whenever I can. And they're, you know, and they're proud of it. 
you know, I suck, but I love it. I play all the time. If you say to someone, are you an artist? They say, no, 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 no. I, I'm not an artist at all. But if you dig a little deeper and say, you know, do you play bongos in your basement? Are you in the church choir? Do you sew <laughs> costumes for your kids to play? They're like, oh, yeah. And I knit and I have a garden. That's like, I want to say, so you are an artist. You're just not a professional artist, but arts are enriching your life. You know, it's like. I like to think of, of, you know, my, my mind or my, my, my life as like a house and, um, and you need to furnish that house so that it's comfortable and beautiful. And, uh, if it's furnished with all chairs, you got no place to sleep, you got no place to move, you know, you got to find other things to make it bright and interesting and comfortable and, and inviting. And that's what arts do. They really do. And I love all of these analogies that folks at home can't see me, but you can. I'm just grinning and nodding, you know, crazy. And this is what I love about you is you are able to take complex issues because you've lived this and, and dial it down in a way that we can understand really, really basically is like, yeah, I will claim the things that everybody's okay at, but I won't claim the things that I aspire to be often. And it's okay, and everybody's messy. And I always use the you know rap language for this stuff. We always say people start out as toys. It's graffiti language. You're like that kid's a toy. He can't write. He's not great at art. But everybody starts as that. And so being able to be comfortable in being messy and just doing what it does to get the emotion out, it's a tool for processing. Art is it. I get my emotion out through records and through cooking. And if I didn't have those two mediums, I can genuinely say with strength, like I don't know if I'd still be with us those mediums are integral to my being able to be me. And so I appreciate, love this. And I appreciate the share on the creative coalition. When we come back, I want to talk a lot about the threads from inside our writers, which is a nonprofit organization you work with reducing juvenile recidivism through creative writing because creative writing is that outlet too. So folks, again, so blessed to have my brother Tim Daly here with us today. And uh, we'll be right back. back uh, with my brother Tim Daly and just thinking about and trying to help land the thoughts that the arts are not optional. They're not optional. They're not optional for us as individuals. We consume them consistently, sometimes us being unaware, as we discussed in the first segment here, but also that they're in desperate need of our support and that they are a tool for helping people be seen. And one of the tools that you use, Tim, is working with Inside Out Writers uh, which is a nonprofit dedicated to reducing juvenile recidivism. And for folks at home, the recidivism isn't part of their daily language. We unfortunately talk about it every day. It is folks who are have been imprisoned or who are most likely to be imprisoned and marginalized, people of color, people living in poverty. That those systems are broken, and that is oppression as we live and breathe today. And then the most likely to re-enter the system, which is recidivism and going in and out of prison. We employ them into cooking. And there's all sorts of other ways for people to find themselves back. And one of those ways is through creative writing as a catalyst to personal transformation. Tim, can you tell us a little bit about the organization and some stuff that you've seen? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you said at the end of the last segment was that the power of um, creating something, the power of, of, of being, finding a safe place to fail, uh, a safe place to make mistakes and to make a mess uh, where nobody gets hurt and, and you learn from that, um, whether you're striving to be, uh, you know, professional artist or just trying to make something pretty to put on your refrigerator. But, um, the, the biggest thing for me about inside out writers is that these kids, a lot of them have committed bad crimes and, uh, they come from desperate circumstances, most of them. And, um, the only requirement in the writing circles, which is the core of this program, is for kids to write and to sit up straight and read what they've written out loud in a, a voice that everyone can hear, and then to comment constructively on what uh, the, the whatever whoever has written something. And the miracle of that is that it lets these kids be seen. So they start with a blank piece of paper. And they write a, a couple of paragraphs or a few, you know, as much as they want. They read it. And the other kids say, 
I've been there. I, I see that. That's beautiful. That's scary, whatever it is. But their creation is seen and therefore they're, they are seen. And the, the, um, what that does for these kids is profound because the recidivism rate in LA County is something like between 70 and 80%, which basically means if a 15 year old kid goes away for assault, there's a 70% chance that he's going to go back to prison and essentially he's going to spend his life there. He's going to learn a lot of things about being a prisoner and not much about being a productive member of society. After Inside Out writers, after sitting there and reading what they've written and commenting on other people, the recidivism rate goes down to something like 6%. What? That is the power of creating something artistically and having it be recognized by your peers and by people around you. It just makes, it's essentially someone saying, you're alive, you made something that I can see and it matters. Um, And the power of that uh, emotion and also the power of being able to give these kids um, an imagination that lets them think about leading a different life than they have led, literally being able to imagine getting out of their circumstance, to imagine getting out of prison and being someone in the world who has uh, a a job and is productive and has a family and all those things that most of us, uh, you know, strive for. It's just, it's incredible and powerful and profound tool. Well, you think about what we say with manifestation, right? And, you know, it was a running joke before. And there's lots of little like analogies in every different language that you can think under the sun in every community of like speak, speak your truth into to the real world. Like it, whatever you say will come true if you say it enough times or you apply yourself, you do the things. But manifestation, in my experience, is committing it to paper, committing it to voice, both of those things, and then watching it become real. So providing a space for that specific manifestation, because you are, your voice and your connectivity to saying that. Versus having an abstract thought, like, oh, I wish that one day, like, no, this is my path. This is how I'm going to achieve it. And somebody else saying to you, oh, yeah, yeah, you are. That is, that's the most powerful part. Being seen, as you said, and having that community behind you is incredible. I mean, even in recovery programs, that's the tool, right? My name is X. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I have achieved. Everybody claps. That's where the support is. And it's, we've disconnected ourselves so deeply through also, and I guess this is the tension, living vicariously through others, through socials or through through other mediums, that we're not living our own lives and that we believe we're stuck in the space that we're in. And you know, I think what's powerful about your medium outside of your activism is that I've watched you be able to explore all the different human conditions and and really show share those. So how does that come into play? Well, I mean that that's just my job as far as I'm concerned. You know, I, okay. I, I, when I was uh, a little boy, I had an overactive imagination and um, I was endlessly fascinated by people and the things that they did and what made them tick. And so when I decided to be a professional actor, I thought it was my responsibility to crawl around in every crevice and every corner of the human experience, good, bad, and indifferent, you know, because we're complicated, interesting, fascinating, uh, mysterious beings. And um, I think that when we illuminate those corners, there's going to be someone out there that says, wow, that's me. You know, I, mm. I, I have had that feeling. I've had that experience. So I'm, I'm not alone. I mean, one of the lessons that I've learned from the, the pandemic is that we are in a place right now where we crave community. And, and we're looking for it so hard. And, you know, in my opinion, like Twitter is not a place, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's correct. Instagram is not a place. It's, it's, it's a substitute for what we really long for, which is to be in rooms together and tell each other stories and, um, and, you know, and share experiences because I think that we have a desperate desire uh, as human beings to be seen, as we were saying earlier, you know, I think that the, the first cave drawings, right. The early art, someone drew a saber tooth tiger and that'll stick guy running away from it. 
Th- those are the things, you know, where the guy's pointing to go, ugh, and all the other cavemen are going, ugh, 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 like, yeah, that I got chased by a saber-toothed tiger too. I feel you, man. I feel you. You know, that makes you know that you're on this planet with other people that are, you know, struggling to get through it. Absolutely. And those experiences, I remember, you know, one of the things that I missed the most about the pandemic was being able to go to movies. I love, I'm a movie fanatic. I love going with other people. And then the time that I love most about it is like the slight we're reacting at the same time and making footnotes to discuss later. And then, you know, the, the 10X of that, which is the theater. And I got to go back to the theater in New York. And I was so overwhelmed with the notion, the emotion, not just from what was I was seeing on stage, which was so powerful, but by the medium of just being able to be back and hearing those stories and then being like detailed and amplified and the skill set that you have to allow people to be seen in that is an incredibly important one because if it's not authentic, then it doesn't land and it's a loss of an opportunity. So I just appreciate how you show up in that. I can't believe the time is ripping as it is, but we are going to come back and I want to talk more about the being a human being, about the human experience and about how you live your life. So folks, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with my brother Tim Daly. better uh, with my brother Tim Daly and we've been talking about the human experience how we digest how we communicate with each other we've gone from cave drawings to violins and everywhere in between and I think you know I want to dig into Tim the person because I was so struck we were at a conference together many years back and have been connected ever since and you shared and I got to see I just got to feel, actually, C is the wrong way to describe that. I got to feel, and you said something, and it was along the lines of that I'm more complicated than I look. And it like hit me profoundly. I was like, what does that, what does that mean? And I got to hear you unpack it a little bit, but if you're comfortable, I'd love you to unpack it for our people here. Oh, gosh. I, I'm trying to remember that, what, what I said, but um, I guess that... Uh, I guess that, you know, I think that human beings are endlessly complicated and interesting and baffling and, you know, that our experiences, we don't always wear our experiences, you know? I mean, um, it, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about me is that I've been sober for 39 years mm. and, and my sobriety has given me everything. And I'm not a, a proselytizer. I'm not, you know, going to suggest that anyone else do what I do unless they want to, and in which case they should ask me about it. But um, I think that, uh, you know, I like, like some other people, I don't wear the damage that I was doing to myself the same way. Like I wouldn't cast, I wouldn't cast myself as a 24 year old drunk who was um, trashing his life and on the verge of, you know, really annihilating everything that they, that they had. Uh, because um, I, I have this kind of, you know, boyish face, and I think that um, it belies uh, what's, what is underneath. And I think that a lot of people experience that the other way. They might look like they just, you know, committed an armed robbery, and they might be the sweetest, gentlest, kindest person in the world. So, that, like you, like you, Mark. Oh, hold on. <laughs> <And> so, uh, <laughs> so um, you know, it's... Uh, I guess one of the things that I've, I've learned um, from being on this planet for a lot of decades is that, and it's very simple, but I think it's been profound for me is that everything is a practice, right? Like there are no finish lines or maybe there's one. And that's when we, you know, go into where, wherever the next, the great beyond is. But other sure. than that, it's like, you gotta, you know, it's like, you don't do the dishes. They don't stay done. You don't make your bed. It doesn't stay made. You got to get up, put one foot in front of the next and, deal with what's um, in front of you. And I think it's the same way with people. You get them and you have to not take them for granted, not take for granted who they are, what they've been. You have to search a little bit and you have to keep searching because people change. So um, that's my, my profoundest uh, lesson 
that I've learned is that everything involves, you know, taking care of it pretty much every day. It's a beautiful, beautiful way to reflect that. That, that the journey is it's cyclical, right? And the commitment to self and the recommitment to self. When I talk about, and my sobriety is is very front page as well, and I've struggled with it. I relapsed four times during the pandemic, short, short ones. Nothing destructive aside to my own mental health and my own physical being. I got you know compartmentalized and, and into this really interesting space because addiction can, it can and will um, pretend that you're healed. It's like, oh, we're good. You know, what would a Manhattan be? Well, it will be a lot of things and it, it unravels. And so I think there's also growth and forgiveness. And for folks who are amongst that process who are listening, um, it is an imperfect process. And, you know, just getting up and repeating those steps of I'm committed to myself. I'm not going to abandon myself. And I think we have such a hard time societally in making anything about us, particularly in the colonial spots, right? You've got tall poppy syndrome in Australia. Um, you've got, you know, imposter syndrome running rampant for everybody. Am I really this thing in the critiques? And self-love has got to be the center point of anybody's choices or decisions, especially around sobriety uh, and forgiveness in those places. So did you, I mean, it's been such a beautiful journey. Every time you say it, like I'm fist pumping on the other side of here, right? Because uh, we share that and we knew that about each other pretty much day one was that this is, and most folks who do encounter each other in the space realize pretty quickly, right? You're like, oh, I can see that you've been through some things. And we'll dig into that. But, you know, for people who are thinking about making that choice outside of the rigor of day to day, what are, what are the lessons for you? Like you, you learned it in a time also where this wasn't coffee table talk. So what, what are the parts? Well, I think that, um, you know, as I was saying uh, before about why we need community and why we need art. It's, it's realizing that you're not alone. You know, we, we tend to, those of us who have problems with addiction, I think, think that we're unique and that we, no one has ever experienced what we we've experienced. That we're like a snowflake. Um, and you know, that may be almost true, but it's not totally true. I mean, every time, uh, I've heard, uh, an addict tell their story, there's always something I go like, Oh dude, I did that same thing. That was me. <laughs> like, so, yeah. so I'm not, I'm not the first guy ever to go through this or gal, you know, first human being to go through this. And I think that, that, that connection and that, that care and, and that love that comes out of uh, a community um, of people who are, you know, trying to stay sober together is profound. It's really, really amazing. Um, and, you know, uh, and the thing is that, you know, there's a lot of stuff, uh, that goes along with, I mean, I, I'm not, I, you know, I don't want to break any, uh, rules here, but let's just say, um, you know, 12 step programs. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you see bumper stickers on cars and that, uh, honestly, they're really annoying and they're especially, <laughs> they're, they're especially annoying cause they're true, you know, one day at a time, damn it. Exactly right. That is a really <laughs> That's a really annoying bumper sticker, but it's a really good way to live your life, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I, I, I laugh at, when I get annoyed by, by slogans and stuff like that. I laugh at myself because most of them are so dang true that I just have to give up and embrace it, you know, and, and uh, quietly apply it to my life and, and, you know, go on my merry way doing the best I can. That's it, man. I, I love that. And I think that there's something just uh, to summarize a bit there too. It's both of these things are true. You are a snowflake, but you are also very much like everybody else in the human condition. If you've made these mistakes, right? You are uniquely and beautifully, incredibly you, you were born in this way that there will only ever be you yet. You know, if you danced on a cop car, almost everybody else in that circle has too. So you're in good, you're good company, right? It's, right. it's part and parcel of the experience that both things are true. Uh, and our ego wants to tell us in this really maniacal way, like nobody's ever going to forgive you. Right. You know, yeah, you've done yeah. too much damage. I may be, in a, I may be a snowflake, but I'm in a snowbank with 20 trillion other ones that are <laughs> piled up against the house. <laughs> There it is. That's exactly it. Well, we are going to take another little break here and come back for our last segment. And, you know, I want to, I feel like we're, we're cracking layers from the, the diagram of the earth. And so we're going to go into the core here in the, in the next segment. Um, but yeah, I think, thank you so much for sharing around that personal journey 
uh, particularly in, in the fact that it's, it's normal. It's normal to hurt and it's normal to recover as long as you're committed to it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Better. Uh, it's, you know, I the people who come and join me on this show, we generally know each other, and some of us know each other very well. And what is the third through line of all of this is the people that I invite to be here, I believe are really great examples of the human condition and beings, and that they're willing to share their own experience for us all to get better. And my brother, Tim Daly is no different in that. And we've, we've really run the gamut so far and we share something else that I don't think, you know, that we do, which is in, in childhood for me, I lost about six years and I was led to believe that that's normal, right? By myself, by the way, I didn't like look externally, but I looked for external justifications when people were like, I don't really remember much when I was like five or six. And I was like, cool, me neither. But like, I remember nothing. And so I had these big gaps in my life uh, where I was like, I wonder what happened in that space or what's wrong with me. And as I came to find out doing some really deep work on myself is that there was trauma in that space and that I wasn't able to access it. Um, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to. Uh, and I'm still in the middle of that. Is that, I know that you've had space like this in your life as well. And if you're comfortable, I would love you to share with us. Yeah. I mean, I have, uh, you know, about the same, I have about five years that, um, is pretty much gone. There are a few flashes in there. Um, but, uh, a lot of the times, you know, my sisters will tell me stories about things that, you know, sound really interesting or sometimes really, uh, exciting or, or traumatic. And I, they'll just, I'll, uh, it'll just be a blank. And I think that for me, it was a survival mechanism. Um, mm -hmm. and I would disassociate now, you know, uh, it, it's funny. I, 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 not to get too woo woo or too Eastern about it, but I think that there's, you know, a, a, a yin and yang to all this, a positive and a negative, like being able to disassociate when, um, you know, you're, uh, on, a, on an operating table or you're experiencing intense, intense pain or getting catheterized, that's great. You know, be someplace else. <laughs> for, <laughs> sure, for sure. And, and avoid the trauma of experiencing that pain. Um, but I also worry a lot about uh, the, the the things that um, might be important that, that I have not been able to access. Um, but like you said, I don't know if I want to, I don't know what that would do if that would, you know, bring back some trauma that would be damaging to me or not. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's, it's interesting to know again, like here we are. And I know that I'm not alone. Like I'm not, I, I'm not the first person to experience this. Um, and it's weird. It's weird. Right. I mean, do you have a, do you have a marker for yours? Do you know when yours like what triggered it? Yeah, I know exactly what happened. And at this point, because I've done some regressive therapy using psilocybin and uh -huh. a nurse, a nurse practitioner and uh, MDMA assisted therapy, which I, you know, am really comfortable and excited to share because mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff is being legalized. I needed to know. Now, the difference in finding out was I was able to put a check mark next to what the trauma was, but I didn't want the details. I specifically said, I don't want the intention that I said was, I don't need the details because the details are so far back in my past that what would I do if I had them? Right. I just need to know that I'm not crazy. <laughs> I need to know that that pain comes from a place and then I want to release that pain, which I was able to do. And so I can speak of it clinically now, but I didn't go into the minutia of on Thursday at 2.47 PM, this occurred to me in real time. I didn't do that. And that was a, a specific prompt. I could have. And I think that oh, that could potentially open a Pandora's box. But we have these wounds. We have our original wound, which is obviously in our childhood, which is a betrayal or a trauma or an abuse. We have a secondary wound again as we grow, which could be a rejection. And those two of those wounds, those add up to a lot of our behaviors as adults if we don't address them or deal with them. So when you say Eastern and woo-woo, I'm like, yo, let's dig in. 
You mean the original <laughs> medicine? Yeah. You mean real medicine? Yeah, man. Let's talk about real medicine. You know, like, of course. And I would love to hear about your experience with it. I was with my Chinese medicine practitioner yesterday. I've got ear seeds in right now for my kidneys and my gallbladder, all kinds of stuff. Like, it makes me better. I suffer from an illness and my, my function went up this year because of Eastern medicine. So I'm co-signing on all levels. What's your experience been like? Well, my, it, it's actually really interesting. And uh, I've got some exciting news uh, that I'm not really ready to share details about yet, but I'm developing uh, a docu-series about um, what we Westerners call esoteric medicine or energy medicine. Um, okay. which, which is very, very exciting. But my, my experience is that, um, you know, I have uh, approached it with a healthy amount of skepticism, um, but I am now aware of how much uh, research has been done that is, you know, within the sort of Western scientific method on these modes of healing. And they're profoundly effective. And my attitude is, you know, someone might say, well, it's just placebo effect. And my attitude is who cares if it gets you better, <laughs> who cares? You know, it's like, and, and you know, most of the people I know who um, uh, are responsibly involved um, even very deeply in, in Eastern medicine or, or, you know, ancient medicine or alternative medicine, whatever you want to call it uh, are not people that think, you know, that Western medicine is all baloney and a conspiracy and all this other stuff. They're like, yeah, it's great, man. But it's also, there's this other thing too. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, my, my feeling is like, whatever works, like use it all. Uh, and, yeah, and, um, and why poo poo one or the other, they're, they're both valid in different ways. And if it works for you, then it works, you know, period, uh, um, period, the, the, the full stop. <laughs> Uh, and if it doesn't work for you, leave it full stop. You know, it's like, um, it, it's, it's like, it's like anything else, you know, you like chocolate ice cream, go, have a bowl, you hate vanilla, <laughs> leave it, you know, but it's still, you know, it's still something you want to have. So, um, you know, I, uh, about five years ago, I broke both my legs and, um, uh, skiing and um, this friend of mine uh, or this woman who's become a friend of mine was doing acupuncture on me and she mm -hmm. was doing this energy healing that there was no weirdness about it. She was actually just talking to me and stuff. But the, the feeling that I had in my body was so ridiculously powerful uh, in terms of the healing of my wounds. Cause I had a big, I broke my tibial plateau, which is a big injury. And I got a lot, a lot of hardware in my left knee, but you know, I mean, I literally had this big operation and got, you know, all this titanium put on my knee on Wednesday and I was back at work on Monday. And, and, and that's not to mention the fibula that was broken on my right leg. So uh, I, you know, and, and so I credit both my surgeon who did an incredible job doing his thing and my acupuncturist who did an incredible job doing her thing. Um, they both deserve all the creds, but um, it, but there's a reason it's hung around for several thousand years because it works. A hundred percent. And if you happen to have broke, broke your leg skiing in Guangzhou or in Hong Kong, you would be getting acupuncture in the hospital. Right. <laughs> like it is medicine. So I love that analogy rather than it's just, again, appreciate so much the way that you're reflecting in this inclusive manner of like, yo, you don't have to believe. And I think we are both, you know, victims of the, if we speak to woo woo, people turn off, right? Yeah. Like I've been enchanting circles with indigenous populations and felt profound energy transference. They've been here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years before any of this colonization bullshit. So like there is, there is truth in it. And I think what I always say to myself too, is the arrogance of thinking we know. Like, look how beautiful and incredible, like the, the fact that we can do any of this is beautiful to me. I'm like, I'm still like shaken by the fact that we're in these containers and that we can act and think and do all of these things that we have the gifts of flavor of love of experience. Why wouldn't we able be able to heal each other with our hands and energy? It, right. it seems ludicrous. And, and also, you know, there are things about energy that we take for granted. And if we were just a little more present and thought about it, uh, for instance, if you take magnets and you turn them so that one will, you know, they're, they're the same pole and they push each other apart, it's like you can push a magnet across a table 
with another magnet. Now, there's nothing touching in between them. You know, you know, we, we just assume it's like a cool trick, but think about it. There's nothing right. between them except magnetic energy, invisible energy that mm. is pushing things. And that and magnetism, you know, can be, uh, you, you know, in, a, in an industrial in, uh, application can be really significant and profound. But, yeah. you know, it's not just that. We also, you know, walk in and run into that person where suddenly we're like, oh, my God, this person is really attractive to me. And it's not just their, their, their face or their body. It's their spirit. It's something about them, some energy that we feel. And if we're just honest and present with that, we know that, like, it's there. Uh, so why not embrace that along with all the other stuff that we experience? Definitely. Well, I feel like we've pulled on so many threads in this hour together uh, that just disappeared. And I'm excited for us. We're going to do, for those of you listening live here on the radio, we are going to continue this conversation um, where you listen to the podcast and the extra innings. We, were, we will be there and we're going we're gonna to dig into a couple other things. And Tim has blessed us with some extra time. Uh, but I would just want to say, brother, from the discussions of energy and Eastern medicine to the inclusivity and the activism and the way that you live your life. Uh, I know that you have never dug into the celebrity portion of your craft. You've really just been about doing the job and doing it incredibly well. And as somebody who's watched you on television before we were friends, since I was eight or nine years old, I thank you for your service, you know, and I just love the way you show up in the world and thank you for showing up for me today. Mark, I really appreciate it, brother. Thank you. So we are back. If you are on the podcast, you never left. If you're on the radio and you've just found the podcast, welcome in. Uh, I'm with my brother, actor, longtime activist, and, and staunch proponent of the arts, Tim Daly. And we, man, that was a ride. I'm grinning. My eyes are grinning. Uh, I learned that with masks on, but they are, they're still doing it with masks off. And I'm just really excited to, to continue the conversation here because what we didn't talk about pretty much at all is acting in the people that you've got to work alongside of in the career that has been so incredible. And I just, I've heard some highlights personally, but I would love to hear, you know, from your time on The Sopranos with Gandolfini, from your time just on all of these things, like, are there moments that just continue to inspire you in the craft and as an actor? Oh gosh, you know, it's it's funny because um, my my parents were actors, and so to me, actors were just like you know grown ups who did stuff. It, 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 it was normal for me, right? And and all the the other the kids in my neighborhood and all the you know people that recognized my dad or whatever, I thought they were just goofy. I didn't, I didn't quite get what the big deal was. Um, so I didn't grow up being, I didn't get into it as like a huge fan, like, oh my God, I want to be like, you know, James Dean or some of that. It was not me. I was just really interested in human beings and the mm. crazy quirky stuff that they do. Uh, so, um, you know, I've had some, I, I've been very impressed by some of the people that I've gotten to work with. Uh, I've, I'm also from time to time have been very impressed by people's work and not so impressed with who they were as people. Right. Um, um, you know, I always, I always say to people, be careful about meeting your heroes because they might be a real jerk and that might really change your view of their work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it's a weird time for that because we're sorting out, you know, people's real lives with the, their public lives. And um, sometimes those things don't line up very well. Um, uh, I, th I think we, we've become a little bit unforgiving because we are human beings and a lot of us, not a lot of us, all of us, every single last one of us makes mistakes. Sometimes they're pretty bad mistakes. And I think that um, there's a huge and powerful uh, strength in forgiveness. Um, so I hope that we can forgive each other some of our trespasses, not all of them. Some of them are unforgivable. But uh, anyway, um, you know, I think that probably the most impressive person that I've ever worked with is Ozzie Davis. I mean, this guy was, you know, he's an author, a filmmaker, an actor, an activist. I mean, what a life that guy led. And he led it as far as I could see with such humility and uh, kindness and gentleness. 
he was someone who I was impressed with in every possible way. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I got to give, give props to Ozzy. Ozzy Davis, the, the legend on all levels. And I'm, you know, I'm stuck immediately as soon as you said, you know, you shouldn't always meet your heroes. There's, we all have stories. I've been in service my whole life. I got to play records for a living for 10 years and I got to play with all of my heroes, right? The kids who were in my Sony Walkman rapping about the Bronx or South Central, et cetera. I got to work with and it, just such a gift until it's not a gift. And what I had to reframe for myself was that my 45 seconds with somebody who could be 18 hours jet lagged is not indicative of their character until it is. Until there's like the repetition of that behavior and then there's a real point of like, oh man, that sucks. But then my choice is to work with them again or to never work with them again. And what I always say to the folks that I work with and for and next to is your behavior and the way that you carry yourself will open so many doors for you, so many more doors than your skills. The way that you hold space, the way that you are with people, I've seen more folks who have less physical skill with a knife, with turntables, with a microphone, do a hundred times more better because of how they govern themselves and live in the real world. And you're just alluding to that. Like we see people and the thing about that is, is the same way that we govern our, our dollars and we spend with corporations and companies now, that tip of the spear is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. We can see behind the curtain. So who are you, right? And, and how do you act? Uh, it's, it's also incredibly important as a human because you also got to take that home and to bed. And I sleep really well, man. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I, I can imagine that you sleep extremely well through the night. Well, I, I think if, if we're talking about my conscience, it's, it's pretty clear. Um, I am capable of, uh, taking myself down a dark rabbit hole and blaming myself for everything. But, um, and you know, and, and my, my, and think that I've done nothing but failed and, and failed people. Uh, and, but I also have tools to step back and get out of that space and realize that, um, that's not the truth. Uh, and I, and I feel, you know, in a time when we're asking ourselves, what can we do to make the world better? What can we, do to, to help other people and to make this, this planet and the space that we share a better uh, environment. I try to remind myself of a very simple and very cliche thing, which is that charity begins at home. Mm -hmm. As and the, the, if, you know, there are a lot of people in my business who are adored and worshiped by millions and millions and millions of strangers and hated by their families by the people who would have to interact with them. And, and to me, that is ass backwards. Yeah, you know, you, you've got to treat the people who you're close with, who you come into contact with, with love and respect and kindness and generosity and empathy. And, and uh, if you do that, that hopefully that ripple will be carried by them out into a huge pond. Um, but, you know, giving a false sense of, of, uh, yourself to a bunch of people that are, don't really know you is just a weird thing um, because uh, you know you don't want to poison your own well. You want to you know uh, if you if you don't have the capacity to go out and volunteer or join uh, an organization that that does work that helps people, then be kind to your children, be kind to your parents, be kind to your brothers and sisters, be kind to your friends and uh, love them hard. And that will have, uh, I think, a profound effect um, in your own family. And hopefully if everybody does it in, in a lot of families and it will um, ultimately be uh, have a, 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 a big effect on the world. I couldn't agree more. And this is this is literally why I'm sitting in front of this microphone. And, and working to have people come and share this stuff because as you talked about earlier with story, it matters. It matters. Like it matters for people to understand that, yeah, that's a cosign of the way I already feel. I want to be that person. I want to continue to do that. How do I do it? And I think when we get taken into those dark places of overanalyzing over everything, like, wow, what if I had, I, like I yell it daily to people. I'm like, you can't go backwards. You can't go backwards. You know, there's, there's nothing back there for you. All you can do is this moment. 
your one day at a time bumper sticker is our life. That's, that's it. And if you can embrace it and make sure that you show up, check yourself as well. Like I, I've got anger issues for sure that I've worked on my whole life that come from another thing. If I overstep the boundaries of what I believe is acceptable, I become accountable to that action as quickly as I can and hold space to hear about my own actions and try and fix them in real time and then learn from it. And I think that's, that's one of the tools that I use, but I would love to hear about some of the tools that you use um, around when you do find yourself overanalyzing and feel like you haven't done everything that you wanted to or that you're a failure in some essence, which we know in real life, you definitely are not. Well, I think that, um, you know, the simplest tool for me is to uh, have gratitude, to think about my blessings, um, you might, you know, my profound blessings and my small blessings. Um, and if I think about the people who love me, get off myself a little bit, um, it, it, re- it really helps because a lot of times, um, you know, like your, your, people think that, you know, your ego is something that makes you puff up, but it's also something that, that, uh, chops you down. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so trying to keep a healthy ego, so you have self-respect and, and, um, and, you know, some kindness towards yourself is really important without letting it go into a place where you're steamrolling over people and not being, uh, compassionate or, or, uh, generous to, uh, the people around you. So, you know, gratitude is where I start. It's a beautiful place to start. And on that note of the ego, often, often we, because we're being made feel small by it or feel like an imposter, feel those other things we puff up. It's the part that makes it, it it literally is the cause. So the causality, when you're dealing with folks, you're like, why is this person such a whirling dervish of like needing to be seen? It's because they've never felt seen. Yeah. Because I've never felt that. Yeah. The other thing I, I think a lot about is, you know, um, I'm not the first person to say this, uh, but it, it occurred to me. And that is that the opposite of love is not hate. It's fear. Mm-hmm. And fear engenders all kinds of things that uh, derail us. Fear of success, fear of, fear of failure, fear in our relationships, um, fear of death, you know, big stuff, little stuff. And um, if I can sort of go through uh, the, where I am in the moment, I find like, what am I, what am I afraid of? It's like, you know, I'm having a cup of coffee The you know, the, the sun came up, like I, you know, I'm not, I'm not in a ditch. I have nothing, I have nothing really to be afraid of except the stuff that the story that I create in my mind. Um, and if I can create a story that's honest uh, and that's helpful to me, then, um, I can get through my day without, you know, I can put, climb out of that dark hole and feel better about myself and about what I'm doing. It's really beautiful. And I think you also saying earlier about the ability to volunteer or work with an organization, but just the ability to show up for your family or for somebody that you care deeply about yeah. those actions are the story that you can continue to read and show and like, look, that's the proof right? And the, yeah. the energy that comes out of it. If you can get off yourself and help mm-hmm. someone or listen to someone else um, and hear their story, I think it has a profound effect on you. Um, and also, do, you, do we have time for a quick story? Do we ever? We, do, okay. we couldn't have more time. I'm here, right. man. I will so cancel I, any meeting I, just, I need to. Let's I, go. I, I just want to tell you this one story about um, a few years ago, I was really bummed out. I was going through a dark time and uh, this friend of mine called me and said, hey, you want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? And I said, sure. When do we go? They said 10 days. I was like, oh, crap. Ten, okay. And I'm not a hiker. I'm not a camper. Uh, you know, I'm athletic. But anyway, so uh, th- I'm going to tell the long version of the story. I'm lying in bed watching TV and I felt like I needed to crack my toe. Short, the short version, I broke my own toe. I broke my big toe a week what? before I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So, <laughs> and so the doctor, I went to go to the doctor said, you idiot, you broke your own toe. And he said, well, the good news is it's only going to hurt any, every other step. So I was like, all right, anyway. So I go to Tanzania with this buddy of mine and, um, 
And I promise myself that if I make it to the summit, I am going to have an epiphany, right? The skies are going to open. There's going to be brass bands and lightning bolts, and there's going to be some profound knowledge that I gain. So it uh, turns out I have some kind of genetic ability to adapt to high altitude. So I'm, I'm standing up on the top of this mountain, and I'm fine. And a lot of people in my group are, like, really struggling, and they're all pissed off at me because I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And <laughs> anyway, so I'm waiting for my epiphany, right? Nothing. Crickets. I'm like, damn it. I th- I, this is such a bummer. So and that day, you know, you start climbing at about 11 o'clock at night. You get to the summit at six in the morning and then you come down 10,000 feet. So I'm trudging down this mountain, kind of bummed out about I didn't have my epiphany. And then I have my epiphany. And it's not brass bands. It's not lightning bolts. It's not a- any of that stuff. It's a re- it's another bumper sticker. It's another freaking bumper sticker. <laughs> And the epiphany is, it's all in the journey. Mm. And, and it's like so obvious, but it's like, yes, man. It's like, yeah, you made it up to the top. Then what? Then you have to go down. And then you have to go someplace else. And then you have to do something else. There is no finish line except maybe the grave. And maybe not even then. Who knows what our energy turns into. But the, the point is that it's like you're never finished living your life until you're finished living your life. you got to keep keep going, put one foot in front of the next and see where it leads you. Um, so I did have my epiphany. It was just delivered to me in a, in like a, you know, brown manila envelope. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's more like you got enlightenment. You got gifted with enlightenment of presence. Yes. Uh, I, uh, there's two things that I want to share. Thank you for sharing that story. And I'm just, I got the best mental image. Of course we're friends. So I can see you hobbling and just the deter- the sheer determination and the visual I got of that. And then the elation of like, I know what it looks like when people are at the top in this altitude of you just being like, hey, you know what? I'm good. Apparently I can breathe underwater too. What do you know? Anyway, moving along <laughs> casually, I, I got the opportunity to be in Attica prison three and a half years ago for their first ever TED Talk organized by lifers inside to be speaking. And Arun Gandhi was there. So Arun is the grandson of Mahatma Gandhi. He runs the Center for Nonviolence. And I also go into the space expecting to learn incredible amounts of things, which I do. I mean, there's a whole series of encyclopedias here for this thing. But Arun is just the way he holds himself, you know, in these ways of enlightenment. The people who have realized that the presence and the moment and the journey is everything. It is everything in the the deliciousness of the day-to-day experience from the excitement, the discourse, the frenetic energy when you're disagreeing with somebody, all is part of the human experience and how beautiful it is. And he had me do this thing, Tim, with him, which was, he said, clench your fist as hard as you can and hold it out in front of me. And I was like, okay. And he's like, now, what I'm going to get you to do, and he got everybody in the prison to do it. He's like, everybody do it. And I'm going to give you 20 seconds for the other person who's your partner to open this fist. All right. And then go. And so the whole place, you know, I don't know if Attica is the right place to be doing this exercise, but of course it is because we're all just human beings. And most of the people I met there are incredibly beautiful and had a very bad moment. Um, And so they're all ripping at each other and tickling and doing the thing. And then they stop. He's like, okay, time. And then he looks at me and he says, can you please open your hand? And of course I open it. And he said, we are hardwired to be competitive and always looking for the next thing and being violent with each other. If we just stopped and took a breath, he's like, if I ask you to support me, you will. And you don't know me. I was like, that's, that's really beautiful, man. And I use that consistently with people and also with myself in choosing nonviolence. It's just important to be in that presence of like, what is the easiest way here? And I bet you that way will work. And also in the extreme presence of being being human and, and being better at being human. So thank you for sharing. I know that you have family to tend to, and I hope that you can send my love to that family. And I look forward to seeing you in person really soon, brother. But if you have any closing thoughts, we are, we are here for you. Um, my only closing thought is this, and that you said something earlier about, you know, uh, manifesting things and, I've been to a bunch of conferences uh, where someone who's already made a 
profound mark on the world has said to a bunch of adoring people, you can do anything you want. You can be anything you want to be. And I would like to say about that, that that is BS. That's not true. You can't be anything you want. You can be anything you can. You know, I want to. I want to play in the NBA. It's not going to happen. It doesn't. No matter how much I practice, I, I don't have. I can't dribble. I can't shoot. I can't block. I can't. You know, I don't know the rules. I can't jump. Forget it. It's not going to happen. But I can be something that I can, and um, and finding that thing that you can be, I think, is more important. Uh, and and then and focusing on that and manifesting that is the way to go. And it's and, and it's not. Uh, focusing on something that might be unrealistic for you to be. So um, knowing what you can be and manifesting that is my advice to uh, your listeners and anyone that wants to, you know, have a better life. Love it, too. I love it and love you and appreciate your time so much. I will walk away from this uh, definitely more enlightened about our friendship and relationship. Love you, too, brother. Thank you so much for having me.